This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to If You Don't Mind. I am your host, as per usual, Madeline Charrington. Thank you so much for uh, popping by to listen to another one of my episodes. Um, I am fully aware that the world is not in its regular state of play at the moment, and um, there's a lot of anxiety and stress and panic happening. I did think about putting the podcast on hold for a little bit just because I thought, why would anyone listen to this? Does anyone care really? But then I realized uh, the best thing about this podcast, it's its best, its most greatest strength is that it it's, a, it's basically a mouthpiece for people who've experienced really difficult challenges and they've come out the other side and they want to share them with people. And I think that's kind of what we need right now. We need stories of human perseverance and kindness and that I think is what I can give you with this podcast. So I, I hope if you're listening, it's it's giving you something. It's providing you with some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, support. Um, and yeah, that it's that it's <laughs> it's it's helping in some way. Um, let's get on to today's episode. So I was really lucky to interview a lovely man by the name of Matt. He has the most beautiful voice, and I'm currently trying to convince him to start his own podcast. We don't know what it would be about, but we're getting there. Um, So two years ago, uh, Matt was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, um, and he wanted to come on the show to tell his story, to explain what it's like to receive that kind of diagnosis, how it impacts your mental health, but... How it and but at the same time, how it really changes your perspective um, when it comes to living life. Essentially, uh, I, he was just really brave and impressive. Um, I must say, I was very nervous to do this interview because I think when it comes to talking about cancer, especially when it's terminal, I feel like it's very easy to fuck it up and come across as insensitive. And I really, really gave my best shot gave it my best shot when it came to this interview. And I think actually Matt and I did a really fantastic job um, telling his story. So we're both actually very proud of how it's turned out. Um, I do want to, I do want to say this is obviously relevant to his experience. Not everybody else with, with cancer, um, especially terminal cancer might experience uh, or might have experienced things in the same way that Matt has. This is very, very relevant to his story only. So I do want to make that very clear. Um, everybody's experiences are different, the same when it comes to mental illness. Um, but I think Matt did a fantastic job um, telling his story. So 
yeah, I guess when it comes to a trigger warning for today, we we obviously talk about uh, brain cancer and and living with a terminal living with terminal cancer, um, how that impacts your mental health and 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 just having to think about your future essentially and how that might be impacted. So if there's anything like that, you so if any of that you're not really able to um, listen to today, or you want to come back and hear it when you're in a better mindset uh, mind frame, please do that. Please don't feel like you have to listen to it today. But um, I think it's, yeah, a really, really good interview and I hope you like it. So here is episode, I don't even, I I just realized also that I keep saying episode one of season two. No one does that. So what are we, I don't know, episode 17 maybe? (laughs) Who knows? Here it is, Matt. such a nice has anyone ever told you you've got a very nice voice i did i actually spoke to somebody i did a radio interview when i was in high school and someone said you have a really good voice for radio you really do (laughs) do you have like are you english i'm english yeah so it just depends who i speak to though because sometimes people think i sound really aussie and then other times fully english oh that's it no i mean I have not picked up on any Aussie accent. I just was like, oh, you must have moved. Have you moved here recently? <laughs> no, about 15 years ago. Oh, my God. It really sticks around, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I think you have a really soothing voice. Even when we spoke on the phone the other day, I was sat thinking, oh, my goodness, it's like meditation. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's <laughs> ever said to me. Oh, you made my day. Um, That's good. Oh, you know what? So right now, um, um, right now, I've had to construct a, a, a basically kind of a makeshift recording booth. I'm using two chairs and a blanket. Um, That's impressive. Yeah, so this is what we've been reduced to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really fucking hot in here. It's warm here too. I think it's Brisbane weather and partially just being stuck in the house. Oh, Brisbane. Well, I'm in Sydney. So we are, we're not, it's not hot here. And um, it's, I just can't do it. It's just, I'm using a synthetic blanket. It, you know what? I'm not going to complain because people have it much worse than me at the moment. With, That's true. Know, First world problems. I know. There's a pandemic going on, Matt. It's, <laughs> Very scary times. It's very stressful. Has it been stressful for you? It has been. It's been weird because I've actually meant to spend this year traveling and instead I've been stuck at home. So it's been a little bit of a downer, but, you know, just taking it one day at a time. I know. I guess it's much better than like... It, it it's horrible. Like I know so many people have had to cancel their trips and things like that, but it's better than getting sick or like spreading the disease around, I guess. Um, those countries are always going to be there. Exactly. Yeah. It just gives us all a chance to have a bit of a break from normal life and then we can go and travel later. Exactly. We'll just reset. We'll get a lot of, uh, you know, Netflix in and before you know it, We'll be back to normal. Um, <laughs> Matt, I should probably introduce you. Um, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming in. Well, coming in, coming on. Thanks um, for having me. You're my first guest actually not in Sydney. There you go. There you go. Nationwide. And I know. And we're, the, we're just really, really taking over the world at this point. 
Um, But yes, I think moving forward, uh, all my guests will be over the phone. Um, But I'm using this really cool app called Clean Feed. Clean Feed, if you're listening, I really like it. It's really cool. You sound really good, Matt, even though you're on your phone, (laughs) which is amazing. Like technology has just come leaps and bounds. Um, But what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Um, Okay, so Matt, I wanted to kind of chat, I guess, about... Something that happened in 2018 uh, for you and if you could potentially walk us through what happened and and how it changed your life, that would be super amazing if that's something you're comfortable with. Um, So, yeah, middle of 2018, I went traveling and I was in Spain on a top deck tour. It was really great. was the first time I was traveling by myself um, and on the last day of the trip, I had a seizure. It was completely out of the blue something that had never really happened before and you know as a young 23 year old guy it was something that I was really really surprised by Mm. um I was in hospital in Barcelona for a couple of days and no one really knew what was going on so everybody was at a bit of a loss I guess um and I came back to Australia and had scans and spoke to heaps of different surgeons and doctors and specialists who tried to sort of figure out what was going on with me. Um, and a week later I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Wow. Okay. So you were 23. I was 23 at that point. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that for any young person, I mean, well, for anyone really, a, a, a diagnosis of cancer sounds terrifying. Um, what was your initial reaction I think I was really surprised initially because I was such a healthy person. You know, I was 23, I was living in Melbourne, I was working full time and overall I was a pretty fit and healthy young guy. Mm. Um, I did the right things, I ate healthily, I went to the gym, you know, I wasn't making bad life decisions. So it was kind of a bit of a shock. I think initially I just didn't really know how to respond because for anybody, the word cancer and the concept of cancer is really, really scary. And it's not something that you expect to deal with ever, really. It's something that other other people have or somebody else in your life is dealing with. So it was it was a bit of a shock. And I think that I just shut down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can imagine I would I would probably do the same thing. Well, what were your friends and family like with what was their reaction were they just as kind of gobsmacked as you I think at the time I was living in Melbourne I was working full-time so I had to actually move back home move back to Brisbane back with my parents and yeah they were in complete shock Uh, my friends were in shock my whole family was in shock and everybody just didn't really understand why it was happening and how it was happening and yeah everybody was just kind of in this state of just uncertainty and they didn't know what was going to happen to me. Yeah, like total shock and total shock, yeah. yeah. Did when you were kind of having those initial conversations with doctors and and you first got diagnosed, did they give you any kind of reason as to why, you know, brain cancer can happen in young people like yourself, people who are fit and healthy? They basically didn't tell me what caused it or how it could have happened. Um, but sort of over the course of 18 months, I've learned a lot about brain cancer, a lot about how it impacts young people, old people, sort of, you know, anybody, and found that it's actually one of the worst types of cancer that you can get. 
Um, and with my particular type of tumor, um, it's inoperable. So they've kind of told me that it is terminal. Wow. Okay. And, and what does that, what does that mean exactly? Cause I know when they said terminal, that can be a short amount of time that can be a long period of time, or is it kind of one of those things like how long is a piece of string? Yeah, I think brain is so complex and everything really is ever changing. And with my health, it's been 18 months of sometimes good health, sometimes really bad health. And they don't really know how long, but they just know that, you know, it's a progressive disease that, you know, is is going to continue to change and impact my life every day. Hmm. Wow. I mean... I've only been speaking to you for like 10 minutes and I'm already like so appreciative of you for coming on and and sharing this. This is just so intimate and amazing. So thank you. I feel like I'm just going to be thanking you the entire time. Um, So I guess when you, when you got that diagnosis, what was your first kind of, what was your treatment regime? What did you do to kind of tackle it? Um, initially when they found it, they kind of told me in a way that they already assumed that I knew that I had cancer and I walked into the doctor's office with my mom and this neurologist said to me, so we're going to have to start looking at radiation and chemo. And I looked at him and I looked at mom and I said, what do you mean? Do I have cancer? (gasps) And he just looked at me and said, yeah, you do. No. Yeah, so it was a really, really, yeah, it was just a really strange way to find out. And oh my god, I, yeah, I, I didn't know how to react. I, I, that's, I mean, that's the thing. Like you hear of these people, you hear of people telling stories where they kind of just like they go in, they're not really sure what's happening, and the doctor just kind of keep starts rattling off stuff, and you're like, wait, 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 am I sick? Like, what's going on? But that actually happened to you. I am so sorry. I think it's disappointing because we're so lucky to live in a country like Australia where we've got an amazing public health system. We've got these fantastic doctors and we've got people that work, you know, in neurosurgery where they're doing amazing things. Mm. But at the same time, there are also people that don't have interpersonal skills and don't really know how to communicate to people, especially, you know, young 23-year-old people that don't really understand anything about, you know, neuro neuroscience or the brain and things like that yeah definitely i mean but still interpersonal not having good interpersonal skills is not an excuse for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah i think my mom agreed very much with that oh my gosh okay so you, you didn't even know you were basically given a diagnosis kind of in a very underhanded way yeah it was a really interesting way to find out i like how you keep using interesting that's just a me as mean way i don't like it yeah, I think I just, I'm the type of person that likes to try and find positives in the situation. And I've tried to remain optimistic throughout the whole process mm. because otherwise I would be a bit of a wreck of a human, I think. Yes, that does make sense. I, I, I can see why that would probably be more beneficial uh, <laughs> than getting super angry. And, and be, I mean, having said that, I'm sure it's, it's, it's a completely... Uh, understandable feeling to to experience if you are angry and and you do feel disheartened but I'm very I like I, I admire your ability to kind of stay positive yeah oh and there's definitely stages where 
I'll go through a range of emotions. Like I've been angry, I've been frustrated, I've been sad, but it's one of those things that I have no control over. So I have to move forward in the best possible way for me and, you know, for my family and friends as well, because it doesn't just affect me, it affects them as well and the way their life is going to be forever as well. For sure. Okay. And, and yeah, so when you, when you had that diagnosis and, and you were told that you would have to start radiotherapy, um, is it radiotherapy? Is that, is that, I'm saying it right? Yeah. Radiotherapy. Radiotherapy. So w- what does that entail? Um, so initially I had brain surgery to partially remove some of the tumor because it was quite large. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said to me, look, things will probably be fine for, you know, the foreseeable future. We're just going to do MRIs to track the progress. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great, I can move forward. I can go back to work. I can get on with my life until something else comes up. Yeah. Um, but at my 12 month scan, they said to me, actually things have gotten worse and you need to look at other treatment options because it is progressing and it's getting bigger every day. So that's kind of when I had to look at radiation and radiotherapy, um, which is a really tough process. And it's something that I didn't really want to do, but was the right decision for me in the end. So it involves going to hospital every day for six weeks and wearing this sort of plastic like mask that goes over your head and they put you through a machine that does the radiation to a targeted spot on your head where the where the tumor is and then I lost all of my hair and a lot of energy and a lot of positivity I guess over the the next six weeks but um you know it was just a process and it was it was very hard and very hard going to the hospital every day and seeing what what other people were going through as well. It wasn't just me, Mm. you know, you're in a hospital where there's huge amounts of people there, most of them, you know, in their fifties and sixties and older. And I walked in and I was 24, I think when I had it done and it was horrible because I just felt a bit like an alien and I was just sat there really unsure and just yeah it was a hard process and i guess it would have been really confronting as well if you when you first went in there to see people going through the treatment to see the side effects and and how sick they were and to know that that was going to be you soon yeah oh 100% and i think because everything else i've mentally prepared for whereas this i have a lot of friends that have had cancer in the past or I have a support group where I'll speak to other people that have gone through similar treatment and they'll say to me, this is what's happened to me or this is the side effects that I've had. And it's scary because you don't really know if that's going to be you or if it's going to be better or worse. So, yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's just like a complete unknown. and you It is the unknown, yeah, yeah and that's really scary. Far out, I can imagine. And so you say you're in a, a support group. Um, what does that look like? Does that Have you found that really effective and helpful? I found it really, really useful because for me, I like to know what's going on. I like to understand the situation. And pretty much since I was diagnosed, my mum has become like a neuro expert. Oh, um, Mums always <laughs> do that. They do that. They're like, I'm going to know everything about this thing and be an expert. Yeah. Oh. And don't get me wrong. She is amazing. She knows everything there is to know about brain cancer and clinical trials and alternative therapy. She, she's your girl if you mm. need to know that sort of stuff. Mm. Um 
but I guess for me, it was important to speak to people that had been through a similar experience as well. And my support group is online. So I'll speak to people and just get feedback and sort of ask questions and just try and understand things a little bit better for myself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I guess, yeah, I I think in the sense that any, any illness that you might experience, be it physical or mental, I think having that group of people around you who is go- who are going through the same thing is so important because yes you can talk to your mom or your dad or your sibling but at the end of the day they are not experiencing it and they can only kind of sympathize not 100% empathize with you because they aren't experiencing that whereas those people are and it's so it's so like uplifting and important for your own i guess sanity yeah definitely it's important to understand where i'm at and get support from people that get it as well yeah for sure okay and so you you did the treatment um for was it six weeks straight six weeks yes and and what happened after that were you did you feel better did it did it improve things in some way so it stabilized things which was very positive Mm. i had my next scan in january this year Mm -hmm. and they basically said to me things are stable the growth stopped but we're just going to monitor it every three months to see what's next. Right. Okay. And I guess is that a a good outcome? Sorry, I feel like I'm coming across very naive when it comes to this kind of stuff, but is that a good outcome for you? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It was positive because it meant that the growth had stopped and it was going to lead to less side effects. So, you know, me having seizures or me having to go down the chemotherapy route, Mm. Well, I, I guess I, I want to ask, and you can you don't have to answer this if you don't feel comfortable without answering it, but you talk about having seizures. Are, are they a particularly scary thing to experience? What what happens when you when you have a seizure? Well, I'm not awake for it, so <laughs> it's probably scary for everybody True. other than me. Um, but I've only ever had two. Right. Um, so I had one initially when I was overseas, which led to me being diagnosed. And then one when I left the hospital after surgery. So I'm on medication that prevents me from having seizures. Okay. But yeah, that's just the sort of management day to day. Wow. So you're having to like, not only think about basically brain cancer, but all the other kind of effects that it can have on your body. Does it have any? Does it have other effects on your body apart from um, seizures? Um, I'm really exhausted most of the time. Yeah. So it's really impacted my ability to go back to work full time and to live independently. And has that been hard? I guess to go from living independently, being a young man, I assume you know, going out, having a dating life, that kind of thing, to then having to kind of be reliant on your parents again. I can imagine that would be very frustrating. It's probably been the worst thing for me because all of my control was taken away. Yeah, of course. That's the thing. Like, I think when you're young and you finally, like, fly the fly the nest or whatever the term is, it's just so empowering because you finally feel like you're in control of what, what you want to do and, and who you are and that kind of thing. But then to have that and then have it taken away would be so difficult. Yeah, I think because it wasn't just having cancer, it was my whole life being turned upside down. And I got given a diagnosis, but at the same time, my life in Melbourne that I'd started to build 
was kind of taken away from me yeah. and my career and my friends and just everything completely changed. How did you find, I mean, I guess when you, when this happened and you, you told your friend, like you've just said, your mum is, is, a, is a great support for you. How did, it, how did it impact on your friendships? I think some of my friends really pulled through. Mm-hmm. There are some really amazing people that kind of researched it and tried to understand it, whether that be speaking to me or researching on the internet. Um, but then a lot of my friends found it really, really hard to mm-hmm. deal with because it's it's so massive and it's not something that many people deal with in their 20s, especially people that I know. Yeah, that's what I – I guess that's what I was kind of thinking about before I um... – before we had this interview today, like what I would do or how I would feel if a friend of mine was going through the same thing. And it's so hard because when you're young, you're kind of taught this narrative. You have this narrative in your head, right, where you're you you, you like you're young and you study and you, you get married and you have children, blah, blah, blah. It's so, it's so hard to fathom when that doesn't go according to plan because that's what you've been promised. Like that's what you've been prepared for, you know? Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think I did all of those things. So I went to uni, I got a job, I moved into state. And you think, oh, this is a massive setback. And maybe my life is over now. I think in some ways, it's really hard. But in other ways, it teaches you perspective Mm. and tells me what's important, what's not important, and what I really want to do moving forward. What are some of the things you've realised aren't important? (laughs) Um, I guess um, I think that I've really rethought my career Mm -hmm. and what I want to do when I go back to work full time. I think it's just about letting small things go and just focusing on being as happy as I possibly can be. Yes. Like I hate that term, but like not sweating the small stuff. Exactly. It's so cliche, but it's true. Yeah, it definitely is true. And I've had 18 months to think about what's happening in my life and try and understand why I've been diagnosed and why it's been given to me. You know, it's it's just something that I've been given and something that I've worked through. I mean, again, it's very hard for anyone who's not in your position to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But... I guess that's what you have to do. If you if you know that you only have a certain amount of time or if you're not certain of how much time you have, you, you can't focus on all the little small bad things. No, and I think as well, moving forward, even though they've said to me, we can't cure this tumour, I still have the opportunity to get up every day and do something positive with the time that I do have. Mm. And because I don't know definitively... I have a year or I have 10 years, I can still move forward and do things that are important to me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I guess, well, obviously this podcast is a, uh, a mental health podcast. So I, I do want to ask you a few questions about that. And I think it's really interesting, actually more so than ever with this current climate and what's ha- happening with COVID-19 and that kind of thing. It's just it's just very clear, I think, in society now how much your mental health and your physical health are interlinked. Oh, my 
microphone nearly fell down. Apologies. <laughs> um, I'll repeat that. Yeah, so I think it's it's very, very obvious to us, you know, uh, humans, this day and age that our, our physical health and our, our mental health are, are very interlinked. And when one, one isn't working, the other one kind of falters. Um, and I wanted, to, I guess I wanted to kind of ask you, obviously you've been sick physically, but how has that impacted on, on your mental health day to day? I guess it's been something that's impacted both quite drastically, mm. mainly just because I'd lost that control element of my life where I wasn't able to go to work. I wasn't able to live independently. Things have just become a little bit harder. Mm. So it does have a really big impact on how I feel. And there are a lot of days when I wake up and feel really crappy and don't want to do anything. Mm. But I think that that's normal. Yes. So I have to try and cut myself a little bit of slack and just remind myself that I'm human and that it's okay to have an off day. Yes, I agree. And I think there's this thing of like people like to assume that if you've like experienced a trauma or you're going through like you're grieving or a loss, like the negative feelings you're feeling automatically makes you depressed. And it's not that it's like, it's, it's a normal reaction to a bad thing. Um, and I think it makes complete sense to be down and to be upset with this kind of thing. Definitely. And I think as well with brain cancer, a lot of people refer to it as the invisible illness. Yeah. Because when I see people or when I go out with friends or when I went back to work part-time, people would say, Matt, you look completely fine. I can't believe you've been through so much stuff. You actually look amazing. But they don't see the reality of what you're doing every day, whether that be going to the hospital every day or seeing a new doctor or speaking to a psychologist. They only see what you're putting out to the world. Yes, yes. Is that frustrating, though, when people say that to you? Because, I mean, obviously it's nice to hear that you don't sound – that you look nice. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm sure everybody likes to be told that they look nice. But is that frustrating to you when you are obviously feeling really unwell and you're doing so much to to be well that people are kind of just being like, oh, you look fine? It's frustrating because I want people to understand. And especially for my friends, I think sometimes they might get annoyed because – I'm not there 100% of the time because I'm too tired or because I have other things going on and I'm not always necessarily going to explain it. Mm. But because I look fine on the surface, it can be a bit of an issue. Have you? I've spoken to a few people who have uh, chronic illnesses, especially ones that are are basically invisible. Yeah. Um, And how navigating the physical... basically the world and, and, you know, transport and physical spaces and that kind of thing has changed. Have you noticed those change? Like, have you noticed issues with that since being sick? Have you noticed that the, the built world or the world isn't really set up for people who are not a hundred percent well? It's challenging in terms of going back to work. Yes. Because a lot of the time I've been confined in a little bubble But when I go out, most of the time I've found it okay. Mm -hmm. 
it's very bright and noisy. <laughs> but, you know, I've coped pretty well with sort of readapting to life. Yes. So I've been lucky. Yeah. I kind of almost think though as well, like with workplaces, it's very hard to go back to work when you're not, like especially full time, for people to trust that you're able to do the job or like to work efficiently if you're not 100% well. I have found that, I don't know, that a few people have experienced that in the past. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Yeah, going back to work was challenging, but it was something that I thought in my mind I needed to do to move forward. Yes. So I had brain surgery middle of 2018 and then I was back at work within five months. Wow. (laughs) That's so quick. It was quick. And I think all of the doctors said to me that I needed to take a couple of years off, but I felt able and thought it would empower me to go back. And the company I worked for was really flexible and I was actually able to do my job from Melbourne remotely up in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So I could work in the Brisbane office up here part-time. And everyone was really supportive. And I had a great boss and a great team. And people listened to what I needed. And do you feel like that work, like going to work and being at work was actually beneficial to you, for your mental health and for you to kind of, I don't know, stay sane in some way? I think it was really important for me. I love to be at work. I love to be around people. And I don't like the feeling of isolation. And that's probably been one of my biggest challenges with cancer. Of course, because you would pretty much be in isolation a lot of the time. Yeah. And when everybody else is at uni or at work or my parents are out at work and all my siblings are out, it's hard because you're just the sick person that's at home. Oh, I mean, I can I can somewhat relate. I, I, I have spoken, obviously, on the podcast about being unwell for, uh, for a good year and, and not leaving the house. Um, obviously, a completely different situation, but still shitty. Um, and you just feel like, yeah, like you're sitting there and everybody's kind of going about their day, but you're just stagnant and nothing's happening and you're not moving. And it can be very debilitating almost it definitely is and it makes you overthink and makes you question everything you're doing so I guess that was why work was important for me to go back but then I got to a point where I thought actually I can find other things to fill my day and that was travel so I did a couple of trips but unfortunately now back in isolation with the current situation. And it's, I guess it's very interesting. It w- would be interesting for you in the sense that everybody is now in isolation. Yes. Um, and they, like, does it frustrate you the fact that people are complaining so much about it because you, you, that's your life already. And that's, you know, I guess a privilege that they've been afforded that they can kind of go out and do whatever they like, but you haven't. And it's kind of, not uh, like it's a normal thing for you? I don't think I'm frustrated with them because I understand I'm complaining as well. Yes. Uh, because I love to go out and eat and I want to go traveling yes. and I want to do all of these things anyway. Um, but it definitely gives me a massive appreciation of the whole mental health space 
and the mental health side of things. So people are experiencing that and people are are frustrated in their own right. So I totally get it. I don't know. I think when I was sick, it it, it just gives you so much uh like it make it makes you realise how lucky you are, I think when you're feeling well and you're able to do what you want to do. Because, I mean, uh, although, yes, um, obviously what, you, what you're experiencing is, is is quite debilitating in some ways, but then I guess there are other people who uh, can't leave their house. And I guess we just we have to be so lucky when we're able to, like, do things and, like, you know, be a part of society. It's actually really special. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Like so many people don't get to be a part of it. And I think when you get sick, you realize how important it is. Like sometimes I'll just be at Woolworths, like walking around and I'm like, I'm so lucky that I just get to walk around. No, but like it's so true because some people just aren't afforded that and we take it for granted. That's I think the thing that I've I've found the most up with, with doing this podcast is we take stuff for granted so much. I think when you're in isolation or when you have an illness with me with cancer, I learned to appreciate things a lot more, whether that be going out with friends or getting on a plane, Mm. just anything, you know, you feel so much more, I don't even know what the word is. Like you appreciate it more. Yeah, you appreciate it more, but you just, yeah, you have this newfound you just get excited to do anything. Yes, I agree. It's it's quite it's quite a I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody should get sick and realize how great life is, but it is quite amazing when you do go through a really hard experience and you come out the other side or you you know, you realize um how how lucky you are. It's just you never view the world the same way again. It gives you really, really good perspective. Yes, 100%. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, go over to something that you you mentioned um, previously before we we started this interview. Um, And you said, you'd said that, oh, I'm just going to find it, that as a a gay man, your mental health had always been pretty fragile. Do Do you think you could expand on that for us? I guess as a gay guy, before I came out, And through the process of, I always struggled with sort of my identity and who I was and mental health has always been something that has been at the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I've been really lucky because I'm pretty open and I've always been able to speak to psychologists or speak to my parents about how I've been feeling. Mm -hmm. But through the experience of coming out, and through the experience of cancer, I guess having support in lots of different ways is so, so crucial for keeping good mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, has date has dating been difficult since um, being diagnosed with cancer? Dating has been very interesting. Yes. It's been a bit of a challenge, but I've still put myself out there. Um, it's just a case of knowing whether to tell people your life story yeah. or to just give people a bit of an overview yeah. and just let them get to know you for who you are. Yeah. Because I have a lot of friends in Brisbane that knew me as Matt for who I actually am. 
but then you meet people as sick Matt and I don't want that to take over people's opinion of me Mm, I can I can understand that I guess you don't want it to be the thing that people think of straight away when they see you like you wanted that you want that just to be a part of you as opposed to your identifier or something exactly yeah and I'm still the exact same person but I've gone through a lot of things in the last 18 months so it's just something that you know is a part of me but it's not it's not all of me yes yes that's so true and I think again a lot of people struggle to make that that people struggle to distinguish between the two and you can be you don't you like just because you're sick that doesn't mean that's who you are like you're not cancer you're matt and you have a lovely voice and you live in brisbane and you also just happen to be in treatment for cancer like it doesn't have to be who you are and what you're defined by Exactly. Yeah. And I don't want that at all. No. I want to make sure that people know my story and that I can help other people feel, you know, a little bit more normal if they're going through a similar experience. But I'm still Matt and it's just a part of my story. Can I ask what are some things that people have said, and I really hope I haven't said any of them today because I'm trying to not be a dickhead. Um, <laughs> some things that people have said to you, um, that have just like flawed you or been super, like, I guess they're trying to be helpful, but have not come across as helpful, which we could also know, like the, us, like as an audience could know not to say, or like just not to even fucking think about, because I feel like that's important. Um, lots of people have said insensitive things. <laughs> But I've learned to just brush it off at this point. Yes. Most of the people that are around me are around me by choice. Mm-hmm. And my family and my close friends understand where I'm at. But probably the worst thing anyone's ever said to me is that it's going to be a really long road ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And that's something you don't really want to hear. No. Because I know it's going to be hard. And I know it's going to be a challenge, but it's not really somebody else's place to say that. No, 100%. And I'm speaking to so many people all the time, whether it be my GP or a specialist or a neurosurgeon. There are so many people giving you different opinions and what they think is right. It's really important to go in and know your stuff, do your research and ask questions. So, yeah, if you're going to make a comment, think twice. (laughs) (laughs) Have people told you to just become a vegan? Have you heard that? Oh, I've had lots of those things. Yeah, so I've had... No offense to me. Don't have any sugar, go on a complete keto diet. Oh, God. Do this extreme exercise routine. I've had everything. So, yeah, some from the doctors, some from mum, but, you know, all from a place of love. Mate, I just, um, I'm just so impressed by your ability to just brush off all the bullshit. Oh, that's what it's about. I know. I'd be crying if not. I know, but I still think it's very impressive. (laughs) Thank you. you. Were you like that before, though? Have you always kind of been someone who's been able to see the positives, or do you think that actually because of this diagnosis, you've been able to 
be more like that in some ways? Oh, I'm a pretty positive person overall. I think that's always been me. But this process has definitely made me more resilient. Mm. Of course. I, yeah, definitely. I can I can hear that in the way you talk and the way, <laughs> and the way you, you answer things. I'm very impressed. I'm impressed by everybody that comes on the show, but I'm very impressed by you. Um, not that it matters. <laughs> I've got my tick of approval. That's good. You're not saying horrible comments, so it's good. Oh, my God, no. You're I, not a stupid neurosurgeon, so it's no. okay. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I think it's it's me- talking about mental health is something I can do to the cows come home um, because I know it and understand it and I've had so many different conversations. But I think when it comes to something like cancer especially when it's terminal it's a little bit scary to discuss I guess I mean obviously uh I'm not trying to be like oh it's I'm so much harder for me but it is it is a little bit daunting and I guess I don't I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't want to make you feel upset or uncomfortable um like I'm treating you like you're some sort of like I don't know sick person and I need to like protect you and cuddle you I just want to be open with you so I hope yeah and (laughs) that's 100% what I want I love to be treated completely normally you don't have to cuddle me I'm an adult and I've come on here by choice (laughs) and it's good to have open communication and talk to you about it and you know help other people learn about it as well Definitely. I I 100% agree. Um, I guess I just wanted to kind of circle because I know we're going to run out of time, but I just want to circle back to um, your family. And I guess obviously having a diagnosis of of terminal cancer, and although that doesn't mean any particular time frame, it could mean, as you said, one year, 10 years, that kind of thing. Um, I guess I wanted to know if it's okay with you, what kind of conversations you've, you've had to have with your parents and and what that's like to do, like, especially, I guess, no one, no, no parent obviously wants to, to outlive their child. And it's, it's something that you have to, to think about and, and consider. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to know what, what those conversations have been like. They've been really hard. Yeah. But my family are all very open mm-hmm. and we all chat about everything we're not closed off people. So I've been lucky whenever anything's come up, I've been able to say, Hey, look, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. Um, let's deal with it together. Yeah. And for me to understand where everybody else is at as well, because it's really important that everyone's supported because it impacts all of them massively as well as impacting me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I guess the hardest conversations have been with my parents because they love me so much. And like you said, it's not something that you want to think about. Mm. But it's also important to be open and honest and just tell them where I'm at. Do you think it's changed your, I don't want to say relationship, but I guess as a society, especially Western, Western culture, we, we have an issue talking about death. Um, it's very taboo and uncomfortable. Um, how, I guess, what's, what is your relationship with that topic now? Are you able to kind of think about it in a more, um, I don't want to say reasonable, but are you able to think about it and not get get upset and emotional? Can you think about it in a, in a more rational way? 
I'm really logical. Yes. So that's been a blessing. And I'm also really optimistic about the situation. So at the moment, things are very stable mm-hmm. and my life is pretty normal. But as things come up, I'm able to have those open conversations and hopefully not get too upset about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything changes every day. And I just try and be as positive and open as I can be with, with my parents. But our relationship has definitely changed since coming home and moving back into the family home. But I take it in my stride and, you know, it is what it is. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure your relationship is like even stronger with them, with them now than it was previously. They're very, very supportive. And I love them a lot. And I and I and I hope like I know that not everybody has that support network, um, regardless of what you know, f- physical, mental uh, illness you're going through. So I'm so happy that you have that. Yeah, I'm very lucky with my parents, with my siblings, and with a lot of my close friends, um, and just in general, like being able to speak to a psychologist throughout the process has really, really helped me. Oh yeah. And I think for anybody that's going through cancer it's really important to find the support that works for you. If it's not your parents or your friends, then there's always a way, there's always support out there. Yes. Oh, okay. That's perfect. I was literally going to ask you what would you say to someone? <laughs> I can redo it if you want. I'm going to ask you anyway, because maybe there's something else that you can, you might think of. But I, I guess what I wanted to end the show with was, for any young person, not even a young person, any person who has been uh, diagnosed with, with, with cancer or something else um, physical that's that's quite scary, I, I guess, and that uh, could have a lot of uh, consequences long term, what would be your advice in terms of battling, not battling, um, juggling uh, your physical health and your mental health? For me... It's definitely get support, mm-hmm. find it in whatever way you can, whether it be, you know, your friends, a support group, speaking to the cancer council, speaking to a psychologist. There's so many options out there. Make sure that you're speaking to somebody and that you don't feel like you're on your own mm-hmm. because that's the hardest thing because you're processing so many things already you have to look after your mental health as well because that's what will really suffer. Yes. And it's also okay to ask questions. Like when you go to see a doctor, go and ask for a second opinion, go and prepared and do your research. I love that. Because they're not always right. Yes. <laughs> and we need, we need to be more involved in our own health and not just be like, yeah. Proactive. Proactive is the word. It's much more articulate than what I just said. <laughs> um... Matt, I can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. I, I, I every every person who comes on the show is brave, um, in their own way. But I think what you're doing is talking about a subject that is not only super rare for young people, well, a lot of people to experience when they're young, but also just really, it's it's insightful because I think we don't have enough conversations about this kind of stuff. And I really appreciate you being open and honest. Um. Yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. I'm really, I'm really grateful. Thanks, Maddie. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you. You're lovely, and I, th- I think you should do that dating podcast. 
That would be funny. We could definitely organize that. I think you should really do it. I think, why the hell not? We're stuck inside for God knows how long. So every man and his dog should be uh, creating a podcast. <laughs> I saw I saw a really funny meme about like, oh, no, all the white men are going <laughs> to create podcasts. And I was just like. As long as they have something to say, yeah. we're okay with it. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want any like shit talking podcasts where it's just like two guys who think they're really funny and they just like talk shit. Yeah, that's boring. We don't want that. We don't want that, guys. If you're thinking about doing it, we don't want it. We've had enough of you. <laughs> um, good content only. Good content only. <laughs> um, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Maddie. Cheers. Hey everybody, I told you he has a lovely voice. I um, I feel like I should start an online petition, make Matt go into podcasting. That's what I think I'll do. <laughs> um, I I hope you agree. I hope you, you you thought it was a good a good conversation. I think. I, I mean, I even said it in the interview. I was nervous to do it. I think I think we did a really good job, um, and. Yeah, again, thank you so much, Matt, for, for coming on and, and sharing your story. I think it's so important to talk about how mental health and our physical health interlinks and you you don't just have to have like a, a diagnosis of a, a particular mental illness to kind of come on the show and talk about your mental health and, and your experiences. And I think Matt is that perfect example. It's just it's just so varied and I think it's actually better to have uh, very different conversations um, be it around physical health, mental health, and how it all, again, interlinks. It's, it's very important. So as per usual, you can find the podcast on Facebook. Just type in If You Don't Mind. Um, Instagram is If You Don't Mind Podcast. We have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com, I think it's .com, um, and type in If You Don't Mind, you will, you will find the podcast there. You can give as little as $2 a month if you feel like supporting the pod. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, you can. Uh, just send me an email at ifyoudontmindpodcast at gmail.com if you want to be on the show, uh, if you want to talk about stuff, if you have any pointers or suggestions to how I can make the show better, please let me know. I'm very interested in, in hearing people's opinions and their points of view. Um, and... Finally, I would really, really love it if you could rate and review me on iTunes. The more reviews and ratings I get, the better it looks. And, you know, this is the world we live in. Um, I also want to say that I will hopefully in the next month or two be putting out some content that is more related to what we are going through as a society currently right now with the pandemic and COVID-19. But I will keep you posted um, but for the time being, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another. And when you can take the time to listen to someone else's story, because it's really important, especially during these times. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.